Seidenstock, thanks for tuning in to us, guys. We've got a great listenership this season. We know it's been a tough season, but you guys have been with us. We really appreciate that. Follow us on uh, Twitter, Titans Talkcast. Got a lot of discussion going on from there. Really appreciate it. I'm joined every week with uh, Landon Peden and uh, John Raw. I'm Nathan Spees. And uh, a bit somber uh, this week, uh, Marcus Mariota will not start Sunday. Uh, he has started every game for four and a half seasons, except for injury. Sounds funny, but we may see him again this season. You never know. But it seems like the end of an era. Seems like the decision uh, has been made long term. Uh, big fella, I, I, I know this is uh, you're a guy that bought in early. They brought him in from Oregon. He was a Heisman winner, extremely high character guy, hard worker, uh, sort of a, a, a seismic change if you're a Titans fan, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I've been on the Marcus bus when we drafted him. I was elated. There, uh, I was stand, jumping on top of furniture. Nathan, you were there with me. It was a wild night, and, you know, this was our savior. This was our guy. And you hit it on the head. Uh, it, it's really going to change our organization. It changes our fan base. It changes everything about it. Uh, all Everybody wearing those eight jerseys in the stands, me included, it, it kind of feels like this irre- irreparable damage and we got to kind of move on because I, I really don't think, like you said, we're going to see him again, but I don't think he's going to be on the Titans next year. And that's just a really sad and hard thing for me to get over. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. He's never been in this position. He's been a starter his whole entire life um, and never been benched. So it's it's got to be really tough for him, and my heart breaks for him. And But he's been through a lot of change. He's had a lot of different coaches on this team. He's had a lot of different you know, skill sets on this team to surround him. He's had a lot of different offensive lines, a lot of different schemes. Even now, uh, we, we've seen Arthur Smith call some great plays. We've seen him call some not-so-great plays. And it's just been a tough thing for Marcus to adjust to. It's one that a couple years ago I didn't see, and I, I thought this was going to be our guy. This is going to be our, our Tom Brady, if you will, or, um, you know, our, our Phillip Rivers, guys who have been there who would be here for – 10, 15, with, I don't know, maybe even longer with the game, the way the game is going now. Landon, as John mentioned, and he's obviously a very genuine Titans fan, there was so much hope coming in, but also this is a guy who passed for 27 TDs and nine interceptions in a season and won a playoff game, and it's beaten uh, some of the greats, and uh, it's looked great in really pressure situations. So tough reconciliation when you think about this season where – uh, Marcus has been wildly inconsistent, and on Sunday's game in Denver, uh, highly inaccurate on easy throws. Obviously, not the same guy. I think they were patient to a point, but the offensive futility, especially in that game, they sort of were, were forced to make a change. Obviously, the damage was done. All that being said, Ryan Tannehill has started 88 games in the NFL, and yes, uh, he did not have a ton of success on a, a struggling team, but we've seen guys in the last few years, uh, Case Keenum, Alex Smith, and others, we've seen them struggle uh, to adjust the NFL and then go to another team, find a good fit, play uh, on the opposite side of a good defense with offensive weapons, and make a run. Uh, Nick Foles also comes to mind, obviously. Landon, what's the upside with Tannehill in your estimation? Well, I think he certainly gives us a higher floor and ceiling in terms of passing because we could see it as soon as he stepped on the field Sunday, the offense ran a lot smoother, even though that's not saying much. Receivers seemed to get open and made more catches. 
AJ Brown and Corey Davis finally showed up after with Marcus they hadn't really done anything. The offense drove the ball down some even though we still didn't score anything. And that was with Tannehill being inserted on the road in a tough situation. And now we've got a week for him to game plan around this guy. We've got two consecutive home games against certainly beatable teams. I still hold out hope for this season because from the glimpses I saw of Tannehill in a very unideal situation to start, he looked pretty okay. And with how good this defense is, if our quarterback can just be okay enough to score maybe 20 points, we should be winning a lot more games. And I think that's well said because, I mean, most of our games have come down to a lot less than 20 points. So if we can can score and can score well, we should be able to, to win a lot of games. Uh, you know, we, we our defense, like you mentioned, has held every single team to 16 or less offensive points in every single game. So I think that gets overlooked uh, how well they've played uh, because we're two and four. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it's been really impressive to see this defense play as well as it has. I think we have excellent leadership, uh, Dean Pease, and excellent leadership in our defensive backfield. And they have held a lot of really good offensive players to uh, pretty pedestrian days. The limitation of our offensive line, if you really watch, it's not about players are making or where they were drafted. Uh, we've been a below average offensive line in a league where there's a lot of bad offensive line play. How is Tannehill going to be able to navigate that? He's not a particularly mobile guy. So in the end, do you worry about uh, his effectiveness? Uh, and do you think as weeks go on and the five that we have out there, they've played two weeks in a row, pretty much every snap, all five of them together. Do you think that helps moving forward? And eventually we might see better play from them as a unit. Well, the Broncos had four sacks on Tannehill in a quarter and a half of play even though the offense looked like it flowed a lot better. I think this offensive line will look better just because Tannehill seems to be a much more confident passer. He's more willing to take risks, trust Davis, A.J. Brown. He won't hold on to the ball like Mariota where he just takes these covered sacks because he's indecisive, but at the same time, he lacks the mobility of Mariota, and we saw that Sunday. He really can't run around and create extra time like Mariota could on the rare occasions that he did, so if he can get the ball out, pretty fast and I think this line would look a lot better but if he's forced to hold on to the ball because routes take a long time to get open and the play calling isn't advantageous to creating an open guy I think this offensive line could look just as bad. Big fella I think we'll play better in the next few weeks and I can't really make any guarantees beyond that. Ryan Tannehill has shown the disposition to throw a lot of interceptions but honestly he'll uh, and I know we saw him in, in garbage time but we'll see him try to stretch the field. I do think Corey Davis and uh, our other weapons are ready for the challenge, and he'll throw some interceptions, but he'll also, like Landon said, take some risk. Do you think we can win half these games? Do you think we can go 3-1? and one? Uh, I think we could go on a bit of a run here. I think we could. First, I want to address your point that, that you think that the players will play better, because I do too. Um, I've been on teams where players have been, you know, incumbent starters have been benched, and when that kind of a thing happens, it changes the team. You know, everybody's like, oh, okay. I do think we have a pretty winnable stretch of games, starting with uh, the Chargers. I mean, they are not the team that they were expected to be either. I always think it's really, really hard when a team from another side of the country has to make a long trip. It's not easy. So the thing about the Chargers is their offensive line is really struggled. 
we talked about the Broncos and our own offensive line. Uh, the Chargers have lost two straight uh, because they've not been able to protect Rivers. He's been running around like crazy. And also, uh, their running game, which is, you know, the last few years has just been multifaceted and uh, very strong. Uh, that's their weakness. They're going to have to get that figured out. My worry, guys, is since we've not been able to get a lot of pressure, uh, our defense has done well, but we have, we've manufactured pressure, but we don't have that one guy that has just consistently got after it. Cameron Wake is still a nursing injury. Guys, I think to really feel good about beating this Chargers team, we're going to have to exploit their weakness the way their last two opponents have. Do you guys feel like we're up to that challenge? Obviously, we might see Jeffrey Simmons. So I tend to think that we won't see him until week eight. But is this a desperate time, calls for desperate measures? This guy looks ready to go. He practiced today for the first time. I think him getting some game action this week is a little bit of a – it's a little premature. I don't – I. Even if he, as great as he's looking, I just don't think he's ready for it. Now, I mean, if we roll into Sunday and Cam Wake is still is ruled out, Sharif Finch is ruled out, uh, Jayon Brown is ruled out, I think maybe Vrabel might be a little pressed to put him in there. I know they've always said that they're not going to put him in until he's 100% ready, but like you mentioned, the offensive line for the Chargers has been really, really questionable at best. This might be a great opportunity for Simmons to get in there get some work, build some confidence. Even if he's not in there for every play of the game, if he's in there for a series or two, just to kind of get his legs underneath him, it might not be a terrible idea. But I kind of agree with you. I think we won't see him until at least next week. Philip Rivers has played here in Nashville a few times, and he has absolutely lit us up. I'm going to throw out the London game from last year, which they, of course, won. And uh, no one player looked good in that game. He grew up about two hours from here in North Alabama, and he has just ripped us apart. They have struggled, but it's not really Rivers. Obviously, it's been that offensive line. Keenan Allen has had a poor outing by his standards in the last three weeks, I think because uh, he can't get downfield. It's been that bad if you watch their games. Do you worry about them getting things together? Do you worry that we'll see the the Nashville Titan killer, Phillip Rivers? This seems like uh, their backs are against the wall even more uh, this team is than the Titans are. Do, do you worry we'll see kind of uh, vintage uh, Chargers this week? I'm not too worried about them, and I'm sure this will come back to bite me, but their struggles have been because of injury, not because they just haven't clicked or played well. And it doesn't look like this week the injuries are going to change. Mike Williams, their number two receiver, got hurt again on, on Sunday Night Football. For stretches, they lost their number three, their number four receiver. They lost their starting left tackle, their center, Melvin Gordon is still shaking off rust from his holdout. Hunter Henry just came back from injury. They're banged up like they always are. And this defense is elite in, at so many levels. We gave up 16 points in a game where our offense did less than zero. We had at least three drives that started on our 40 or better, including one that started on the Broncos' side of the ball, and we scored zero points. If we can do that against Denver, then I see no reason why we can't do that against the Chargers because... Phillip Rivers, Keenan Allen are certainly a better, and Hunter Henry, I should say, are certainly a better receiving threat than anything the Broncos can do. But, And we just held the Broncos to 16 points without getting that much pressure. As good as our defense has been, uh, we haven't let any of these prolific guys we've played really eat us alive. I felt like Cortland Sutton is something the average NFL doesn't know about. That guy was good, and we contained him the best we could because we were physically outmatched by him. Keelan Allen is one of those guys, and Hunter Henry is definitely one of those guys, and he looks to be healthy. 
But I don't worry about that as much as uh, Rivers beating us um, or uh, Melvin Gordon kind of getting his legs underneath him because we can't set the edge or, or get that pressure. But it's one of those games you're cautiously optimistic. We have the talent to win. The Chargers are uh, – we get frustrated. Our team is uh, wildly inconsistent, and the Chargers have been that way for literally 12 years. They've been one team one week and one week the, and one team the next, but uh, I felt like they've never really given Rivers the uh, offensive line. They've never really invested in that. I feel like they've been poorly run for just years and years. I think they have a good coach right now, but – they are still, all these years later, just shorthanded with bodies up front. And hopefully, we can take advantage of that. Uh, if we do, we'll see who. Harold Landry, Jarrell Casey, Daquan Jones, guys that have played well. We're just going to have to manufacture that. I think when we've uh, really gotten after the quarterback, as we did late in the uh, Falcons game and uh, through the game in Cleveland, we gave them different looks. And uh, Logan Ryan came after him. Then we saw Jane Brown uh, get a rush going. Are we going to see Jane Brown in this game? I would lean towards Snow just because his injury was serious enough that he got hurt very early on in the Broncos game. He sat out the rest of the game, and he did not participate in practice today. Unless they're just being careful with him, it looks like this injury is at least serious enough that it could threaten his availability Sunday because Rashawn Evans had a similar-looking injury where he went down, it went to TV timeout, and he was off the field for a minute, but then he came right back on. But John Brown missed the whole game. He missed practice. So I'm not going to get my hopes up on his availability Sunday. Big fella, as far as the rest of the injury report and uh, who's practicing and, and who hasn't today, who do you have your fingers crossed for? Who do you, who do you think we need? Obviously, John Brown is huge. They're just taking the cautious approach because a groin, you know, that could just be an overnight thing. It could linger and then you could just for a week and then wake up the next day and you're good. I think... We have severely missed Cameron Wake and Sharif Finch, you know, coming off the edge and rushing. Now, Harold Landry has done pretty well the last couple of weeks, uh, but we definitely need some more consistent pressure. Uh, my fingers are crossed that Cam Wake and Sharif Finch are both going to be ready to go on Sunday. It, it doesn't look promising. These guys haven't practiced in a couple of weeks now, so I really just get really nervous. But I, I really hope that they are good to go. Guys, we mentioned some offensive guys for the Chargers. I think the average Titans fan knows all about Phillip Rivers and Hunter Henry and Keenan Allen. They've got some really good skill position talent. Landon, on the defensive side, um, listeners may not be as aware. Uh, who are they going to see and who should they look for Sunday? This is a talented, not deep, but a talented defense. Who, who uh, stands out to you so far this season for the Chargers D? Desmond King, one of John's <laughs> favorite players from a couple years ago. He's still just as good as he was last year. Even on special teams, he's going to contribute. He had a punt return touchdown two weeks ago. He, along with Cameron Hayward, number 26, they're a pretty good cornerback tandem. And as we've seen, Davis and A.J. Brown have had problems getting open at times. We could be in for a rough day, but who knows? The change to Tannehill can change things. Casey Howard is, uh, I think, a top-five corner. Vanderbilt fans will remember him. He was a second-round pick uh, and then uh, signed as a free agent. Uh, he's a terrific player. I think he's his eighth or ninth season in the NFL. Number 26, uh, I think uh, a lot of Titans fans uh, uh, will, will know who that is. But he's still an underrated guy. I think he will be blanketing Corey Davis all day, but I don't think that means that uh, we can't see him 
go to the chains, go to the end. And that throw that they've attempted a half a dozen times this season where Marcus just threw out of bounds, uh, hopefully that's the throw I want to see. It doesn't matter who's guarding you. If it's thrown right, uh, Davis has shown the ability to get his feet in. He just uh, he the throw didn't come to him. And I'm going to be really interested, of course, to see A.J. Brown and, and how he does on the other side. Because like we said, King is their kind of slot guy. And he's been good, not great this season. Uh, so I'd be really interested on that other side. I think this is an A.J. Brown, Adam Humphreys type game because they do have a really good top corner. Those guys are good. There's another guy on their defensive line that we heard about a lot, but is a terrific player. And that's Joey Bosa. Uh, big fella, your thoughts on Bosa? He's uh, obviously graded out really high this week, and he's uh, going to get after you. Uh, he worries you, obviously, uh, opposite probably Conklin, right? Oh, of course, yeah, I think. Um, obviously he's one of their playmakers on their team. He's got three sacks. You might, you know, expect more, um, from him at this point in the season, but he's always there. He's always getting home to the quarterback just, you know, so he's always going to be a game record and he's somebody we have to game plan for. I think he probably will be lined up against Conklin, but he might also be the guy that thinks he can take advantage of Taylor Luan. Um, so I think we'll probably see him a little bit on both sides. He's, he's a dangerous player and you can't, uh, not pay attention to him. No, he could. Uh, he's uh, one of the key matchups, I think. Uh, Conklin uh, and Bosa. Hopefully, they give it, they give Conklin some help because that's obviously this game. Uh, this season has fallen apart game by game because our lack of protection to the quarterback. And y'all mentioned uh, Derrick Henry earlier. Derrick Henry looks good to me. He always has somebody on him immediately. We're going to have to do better than that from a from a run protection standpoint especially in the last game the interior between the tackle it was just awful uh just really terrible that our interior offensive line really gave no push last game i think ben jones has played admirably and i think saffold for as tough as we've been on him and everybody and he's been on himself uh he's not been terrible the last game it just sort of fell apart and we're gonna have to reestablish that i don't think it's Derek henry and i don't think it's our coaching staff because they've given him carries they're trying to identify themselves as that kind of team. But it's not going to matter if this offensive line does not play better. And they're absolutely going to have to. If it were me, obviously I would give Conklin some help against Bosa, and I may just go the other way. They have some other good players. But, uh, big fella, is that what happens in reality? Are they just going to scheme away from Bosa? Because, yes, he has three sacks, but he's big, he sets the edge, and he's given a lot of pressures, a lot of hurries. Uh, we, we might see them go to that left side, right? Um, sometimes, you know, it's kind of different uh, how you want to approach a, a person like Bosa. Sometimes, you know, I, I tend to think it is better to run just completely away from him. But guys like Bosa, they can literally chase a play down from the other end of the field. So a lot of times what you can do to neutral, neutralize a player like Bosa is honestly to just run right at him. That way he faces double teams and he gets blown off the ball. Um, and he kind of, at least you, it, it, while he, you're running right at him, you can kind of push him in the direction you want, whereas if you're running away from him, you're kind of chipping him and just to, you know, get him off of his first two steps, and then you're kind of looking for somebody else where, you know, a guy like him with his speed, he can probably chase down a play from the back end. So I actually, I would actually run right at him if we were going to run with Henry and establish the, the ground game. I'd run right at him. That's an interesting perspective, and I, and I think they're hopefully going to be ready, and they're going to have to be. You were mentioned earlier about how, you know, players don't consciously say, I'm going to play harder. we got a different quarterback. But there's something about it. I heard you say that as a foreign player. I heard Ross Tucker say that earlier in the week that it just kind of puts you on notice. Hey, things can change, and uh, no one is out there 
uh, wanting to play harder for a different guy. And everyone loves Mariota, but I think it just can sometimes serve as, as an energy. And we just saw a total lack of energy, and hopefully that will affect our offensive line. We don't really have anywhere else to go but with these guys we have out here now. And I think you could probably go nowhere but up. You do see offensive lines sometimes improve through a season, uh, barring injury, because it does matter, that continuity, right? Uh, Landon, that continuity, especially with Nate Davis, is sort of getting his education on the field right now. There is hope, or um, should we have hope, that, that we could we could see a better, especially uh, protection on runs uh, this week. I think we certainly have reason to believe that this offensive line can have a bounce back performance because Melvin Ingram didn't practice today. He's been out a few games. He's their second best pass rusher, edge rusher behind Bosa. Justin Jones and Brandon Meebane, two of their defensive tackles, also didn't practice. So their defensive line, just like their offensive line, is softened up by injuries. And watching the Sunday night football game, what really stuck out to me was just James Conner was breaking every tackle, it seemed like. Until he got hurt, he just never went down on first contact. And he's certainly more elusive than Henry, but I think Henry has the more power. Like we've said every week, we've got to feed Henry the ball. And from what I saw on Thursday night, if we feed Henry the ball a lot, and we know he's so good at breaking tackles even when it's because he's getting hit in the backfield, this could really be a great performance from Henry But just because this Chargers defense isn't that great at tackling. Big fella, if you were a Chargers fan, what, what jersey would you be wearing to Sunday's game? Ooh, that's a pretty good one. Um, I've said this one before, and luckily one of my all-time favorite players has played for the Chargers. Um, I'd be wearing a Dwight Freeney jersey, um, but I think another great one to wear is LaDainian Tomlinson, probably a lot of Phillip Rivers jerseys, maybe Dan Fouts. There are definitely some good ones in the Chargers. Well, how we saw LaDainian Tomlinson was a baby and he was a brat to philip rivers early in his career do y'all remember that years ago when uh rivers sat down with him after a play and ladainian like gets up and storms off i always thought he was such a baby junior seau would be way up there for me it's tough for us because of just the absolute tragedy i think we're going to look back um maybe a generation from now seau is going to be a turning point for getting just the the average americans not just football fans americans attention about brain injuries and football uh, because just to see a guy with that kind of uh, personality wow factor on and off the field to do something so tragic to himself uh, i really think and i know that's somber i think that's going to be a turning point for this game it's really sad and uh that it might be tough to to wear that but he was certainly a guy growing up you just like john you can remember he just had every football fan's attention every kid was like wow i mean he just really had everything uh, Philip Rivers for me, uh, grew up in, uh, in Decatur, Athens area, played football for his father. They ran a wing tee, didn't get a scholarship to Alabama or Auburn. Uh, they wanted him to gain 40 pounds and uh, play fullback. Of course, they had terrible quarterbacks. I think they're probably jinxed uh, for that. He goes to North Carolina State, plays for Chuck Amato, and uh, starts from the day he gets on campus, plays four years. People were worried about that weird hitch that he has. Of course, he went in that vaunted 2004 draft. He was fourth in that uh, great drama we had where uh, Archie didn't want Eli to pay, play for the Chargers. And you wonder now if, if he wasn't kind of right, because uh, although they haven't been atrocious, they have uh, not served Rivers well, uh, per se, um, uh, over the years. I think he's propped them up uh, to an extent. They've never been truly bad. 
and they've had their moments, uh, personnel, and they've had some good coaches. I think they have a pretty good one now. But Rivers, for me, being a somewhat local guy and just kind of what he's gone through and how long he's played, and we know the whole story about him being a devout Catholic, married his junior high sweetheart, and uh, has eight children and takes a – do you guys know that he takes like a van, like a chartered van, and still lives in San Diego and drives the 90 miles, and he has somebody drive him, and he like rides with other people and studies game film and does all that. They have like this van they set him up in. It's like the weirdest, best story. Yeah, I did hear that, and it's pretty cool. I mean, it just (laughs) – you know, it just seems like old an old school thing to do, and I really like it. Interesting thing for me is Dan Fouts was a one of your first like really prolific quarterbacks. Uh, he had a similar trajectory that Rivers had a really good quarterback on some, you know, my teams. And uh, what's interesting, Landon, with his age and as much as he knows about football history, I think when he, someone his age, you say Dan Fouts, they just think color yeah, analysts that nobody right. the color analysts that nobody likes. I think he gets too hard of a time. Uh, Landon, your thoughts on Dan Fouts, uh, what you know about him historically, how close you might be to wearing his jersey, and and, and your honest thoughts uh, about him in the booth. Well, I certainly know that it was him and Eric Coriel that kind of revolutionized the passing offense. And for a time in the early 80s, they were always on the cusp, him and Kellen Winslow, including that historic game against the Dolphins in the playoffs. And they just kind of helped bring about the change in how offense was played along with Montana and Walsh in the West Coast offense. But it's just kind of weird because he's certainly impactful on the team and historic to the league and the team as a whole, but it was just he never went to a Super Bowl with them like Seau. He didn't play as long or as in relevant a time as Phillip Rivers, and he was never quite the star of LaDainian Tomlinson. So it's just weird because he played a bit long ago, the team's never quite reached that ultimate goal, and he just—he was just kind of stuck around a bunch of great quarterbacks at the time, so he just gets overshadowed. Right. Exactly. What jersey would you wear Sunday? Junior Seau, just because he meant so much to the team, the fans, the community. I mean, for a decade, he was the hero of San Diego. He was—he was the Chargers. He was the reason fans cared. He took them to their first ever Super Bowl. He had one of the greatest defensive performances ever against the Steelers in Pittsburgh to get them there. And then obviously his tragic death, there's a reason it impacted people so much because that just speaks about how how big of a person he was to the community. They have four retired numbers. Dan Fouts, Lance Allworth, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Junior Seau. Of course, they will one day retire Philip Rivers' jersey, and uh, I think they need to retire Charlie Joyner's. He's another guy, maybe, uh, that I would have. And, of course, he started his career with our franchise in Houston but played about nine or ten seasons with uh, the Chargers. So they've got a good, solid history. Uh, People don't think that. They've got a lot of good players, and uh, uh, it's tough what's happened to them there in transition. Uh, Everyone has talked about how in Pittsburgh, I mean, when they played uh, the Steelers, it was literally it looked like a Pittsburgh home game. 
Uh, did you guys see any stuff about that? And they had those stupid towels waving around. And I feel sorry for these guys because you play hard and you don't control that. And that's just really tough, I think, that they're basically every game is a road game for them. And, um, you know, you mentioned Big Fella. They have to go 3,000 miles. But I wonder if sometimes the road doesn't have comfort to it for them, uh, weirdly, because it's such a weird transition. They're playing in a soccer stadium until they become just a tenant at the big uh, stadium they're, they're building basically for the Rams. Yeah, I, I think it's a little weird. Uh, and I think that's a good point that you made about maybe being on the road brings them comfort because – it gives them a chance to just go somewhere else where they're not, where they're expected to be the away team. And, you know, even coming to a place like Nashville, where we don't have a great home showing because we are kind of a, a different kind of a city. Um, so it might be better for them. They might enjoy going on the road and going to these stadiums where they're not going to be overwhelmed with an opposing team, and, you know, while they're wearing the home jerseys or, or and something like that. It worries me because they've ripped us apart before, and a lot of these guys are from this area, and uh, we talked about Rivers, but I do tend to think that uh, this is a push em game, and uh, I think that we could win this game, and I think that we could get embarrassed, and I think whoever loses this game is going to be nudged very close to a lost season. Wouldn't you agree, Landon? It's pretty tough to recover from two and five. If Sunday goes not as we expect it to and things just don't look right which I assume will be attributed to a lack of offense and another wasted defensive effort and I think this season is as good as lost because not only are we 2-5 and five, we're 0-2 in the division we're 0-3 at home which has always been a strength of this team the past couple of years because we were always great at home and could always count on getting that home win when we needed it most Assuming we lose, our offense is still going to be bottom five in the league and the sorriest offense when you consider the talent we have. It's going to suck because having a lost season, seven games into the season, is terrible. You don't want to have to watch the nine last games just begrudgingly because you know it doesn't really matter. The playoffs aren't even a realistic dream. You're just waiting to see, are they going to be awful and have a good pick? Are they going to crawl to mediocrity and have a lackluster pick? What What are the keys to victory? I think we're going to attribute it to our stellar defense, and I think we're going to have a really good day. I think we've got to shut down Keenan Allen. We've got to make sure that he doesn't run wild on us, um, which I don't think he will. I, and I also think it's going to be through Derrick Henry. I've said that on many other uh, podcasts before, but I think he's really a big key to victory for us. Um, at least until we get some stability. And I think Tannehill, he's going to have to kind of show that he's ready to take over this moment. Um, you know, we, we, we've made him the starter, and he's going to have to prove it. Ryan Tannehill restructured his contract to be here. He, his agent, somebody, convinced him that this would be an ideal spot and they would have possibly have an opportunity, and the team around him could give his best chance to continue his career as an NFL starter. And that starts, I think, uh, this Sunday. And just as you said, it's going to be really interesting to see. But he picked this moment. Obviously, if John Robinson didn't think something like this had a possibility of happening with Marcus Mariota, he wouldn't have traded a fourth-round pick to get uh, Ryan Tannehill. Elena, what are your keys to victory? If we're going to win this, what do we have to do? I think the offense, especially the passing offense, has to open up and be a lot more explosive than we have been because – it's no coincidence that 
the two games that we've won so far this season, in the two games where our offense just didn't look absolutely pathetic, Mariota was either good or great in the passing game. Against Cleveland, obviously, Henry took a screen pass. He did all the work. Then we had two short touchdown passes off turnovers created by the defense. Then in Atlanta, Mariota showed his accuracy. He had some well-delivered touchdown passes. And then we just used the defense to grind out the win. So we can just have that quick explosion, get just a little bit of a lead. With this defense and their ability to create turnovers and just not give up points, we just need just a little bit of breathing room and we can win this. Guys, I'm not ready to be 2-5. and five. I'm not ready to start talking about who we're going to draft uh, at quarterback. I, I'm not ready for that. I want us to be 3-4 and four and climb back in this thing. And I certainly hope that's what we're going to do. Guys, let's talk NFL before we um, head out for this week. Obviously, the big news is Jalen Ramsey. And he was traded for two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick. Uh, one in 2020, one in 2021. The Rams obviously have little regard for first-round picks. And so far, they've managed with that. Obviously, their depth is an issue, and they're plugging holes with these trades. Uh, Marcus Peters, uh, boy, his effort and consistency was a problem. They, they ship him out, and they bring in Ramsey. Uh, your thoughts on that deal, big fella? As the Jalen Ramsey saga began, um, we saw a number of teams that probably would have been able to trade for him. I am going to be completely honest with you. I did not see the Rams doing it. I thought it was going to be the Eagles all the way. And um, everything that I've seen, it just, you know, the Eagles did everything they could in their power to get him. And it just, they weren't going to cough up the the draft capital that the Rams did. And like you mentioned, the Rams... You know, they kind of gamble with their first-round picks and give them away, and this is just another another one of their most recent uh, ways of doing that. So they haven't had a first-round pick since they, they drafted Jared Goff. So I, I think it's an interesting piece to the puzzle. I think Jalen Ramsey is going to like being a Ram, especially with a younger head coach. And so I, I think it's a really good fit, and I think right now the Rams kind of come out on top with that trade for now. Landon, we have two weeks before the trade deadline. Uh, we've seen some activity already. Uh, who do you think is most likely to go? What players and what teams uh, do you think are most likely to, to make a move in the next two weeks? And do you think we'll see a sort of blockbuster uh, trade? It seems like there's been more activity at the deadline where for years and years uh, not much happened in the NFL. It really feels like A.J. Green can be on the trade block. I know that the Bengals have said that they aren't going to trade him, but it looks like he's not going to extend his contract or that he wants to re-sign the offseason so he's an expiring contract he's an older player it's better to trade him for an asset than just have him walk away for nothing even though he's been maybe your best player of this decade and as far as a team that could use him obviously the Patriots are always going to be in the discussion for training for any star especially with their wide receiver injuries and I also think Melvin Gordon could be on the move because he has not looked great these first couple of weeks back, and they haven't used him that much. I know Austin Eckler has been the hot hand. He's been great so far, and they've been riding that, but still. Melvin Gordon is more talented, and maybe it's just Russ, but if you're not using the better player like you should be, either you just don't believe in him or you're saving him because you want to keep him healthy because he's a trade asset that can fetch you some value. 
Yeah, I think this is a big week for Melvin Gordon, and I think they're going to be ready. And hopefully, um, you know, we can uh, we can stuff them. But uh, I think uh, Chargers fans and their personnel hope that it's a turning point, not for their season, but especially for Gordon, because he he could be a trade target. But if he were, and there were value for him, I think we we might have already seen him traded. Trent Williams is super interesting to me. Uh, for Washington, while they have not gotten value for him, he's not interested in playing for them. And you've seen other teams aggressively kind of dump guys. There are a lot of teams, as long as uh, Trent Williams is healthy and in shape, we don't know that for sure, uh, a lot of teams could use a good left tackle. I don't understand uh, that whole situation, but there's a lot I don't understand about uh, the Washington franchise. Fellas, that'll do it for this week. Uh, obviously, this is a huge Sunday for us, uh, big change. Lots happened. Uh, big week in the history of the Titans with uh, what looks like not just for this week, but a seismic change kind of in the uh, for us at, at the most important position in football. Guys, so I hope to see everybody uh, out at the stadium. Kickoff is uh, after 3 o'clock, another afternoon game. Hope that we uh, are talking on Sunday night and give you a podcast about another Titans win. Until then, fellas, tighten up.